I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. You're listening to Deep Cut. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. This episode, we conclude our series on director Wong Kar Wai with his 2004 film, 2046. This, in my opinion, is definitely a deep cut, being one of Wong's most underseen films. I know Wong's filmography is probably one of the most like widely viewed in terms of international auteurs in the world, but... If you were to list the popular films, I would list uh, the three films that we covered prior on this podcast above 2046. And as of this recent watch, it has become my second favorite Wong film outside of Chunking Express. Mm. Probably the reason that I have Chunking Express still over 2046 is purely out of like nostalgia and my own personal connection to the film. But I do view 2046 as maybe his best movie. Mm. I really love how this movie moves through sections and stories, how evocative all of these stories still ring, and this being somewhat of a conclusive statement that Wong makes towards his feelings towards Hong Kong and his idea about making movies in Hong Kong. There seems to be no going back to this place in his heart in his filmmaking since this movie. And I first want to bring up this really shitty thing that my co-hosts do (laughs) where they never... Wait, what? They don't log (laughs) the films that we we talk about in in the episode in order for them to get me to give a very genuine reaction to their reaction to the film. That's (laughs) podcasting, baby. (laughs) That's drama. (laughs) And I feel like I never do this to you two, but you guys... (laughs) This is an intervention. (laughs) Are holding out on me. This is not the first time I'm watching 2046. I know, I know, I know. But I I am hoping that with this this watch, uh, your thoughts have changed. I think before we get into any context or or plot summary, I'm just very curious as to to what your initial reactions to to the film were on, on these watches. Ben, since this is your second time watching 2046, why don't you go first and we'll build up the drama further as to what my first time viewing was like. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is not the first time I've quoted this quote from Wong Kar Wai, which is included in the restorations, where he says, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man, and these are not the same films, and we are not the same audience. Hmm. And to that quote, I say, sometimes that man is wrong the first time. Oh! <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes. Oh. Wait, it took me a few seconds to understand what you were saying. <laughs> that man being me. As in, I don't know what the hell I was doing when I watched it the first time. But 2046 is definitely one of Wong's strongest films, I think. Wow. Similar to what Wilson was saying about his ranking with in relation to Chunking. For me, obviously, In the Mood for Love still stands tall. But 2046 is very close to 
usurping that second place spot for me, which is crazy. I don't know how you, somebody can be so wrong the first time, but anyway. <laughs> I think the only reason Chunking is still in that second spot is because I think the second half of Chunking is so strong that it is just stronger than any part of 246. But 246 is a much more complete package in a sense, which is why I think it is maybe possibly a stronger film. I cannot speculate what I was thinking the first time I watched it, but I can tell you why I felt watching it this time, which is that as a sequel to In the Mood for Love, this is like the strangest thing you could expect from Wong. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I was like, whoa. And I think watching 246 much closer to when I rewatched In the Mood for Love, I came to understand what this movie is trying to do a bit more. And also watching a lot of his filmography in the past few weeks, I understand what 246 is doing and how it fits into Wong's filmography and his whole thing. Like, what's Wong's ethos? What is Wong interested in in his career when he makes films? What is the thing he's trying to say? And I think 2046 is a very weird sci-fi crystallization of that ethos and that mission. For me, I really appreciated that it was kind of like Chunking slash Fallen Angels type of like weirdness funneled through the prism of the style of In the Mood for Love. And that makes it a really interesting mix. If I were to speculate, I think I don't care for Mr. Chow in this. Oh yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. And I think that's maybe the thing that was pushing me away from the film. But I'm really interested in all the women that he's interacting with. Mm-hmm. For this film to exist in the way it is, is quite astounding because like, I don't know how you would think this up. Like, You can only make this film the way Wong makes film because it doesn't really make sense. I don't know how you would construct this the way it is constructed. Yeah, and I found all the individual kind of vignettes of Mr. Charles' relationships with all these women compelling, interesting. I need to shout out that Zhang Zhiyi is hot as hell in this. <laughs> yes, she is. It is crazy. And I was like, damn. And her story really takes up a huge chunk of the runtime. Yeah, I have a lot more to say, but that's kind of just my general reaction. And I'll get more into it as we talk about the film. God, you just like tossed me like a <laughs> life jacket. I was like drowning in the middle of the ocean somewhere. This is <laughs> you giving me a glimmer of hope. This really made my day better. Okay, Eli. All right, your turn. <laughs> okay, so as I started to watch 2046, I found myself getting confused and a little bit bored. And I let it go on that way for a little bit. And then I remembered that I like to feel that way in movies. (laughs) Whenever a movie's doing that to you, you can stop and ask, why is it giving me this experience? And when I started to think about that a little bit, some things started to make more sense and the confusion started to feel more purposeful. It came to be for me this question of what does Mr. Chow do with his grief and rupture after the end of In the Mood for Love. And with that question in mind, things started to make more sense, and the ending, in particular, carries a lot of weight. So through the movie, it basically went from a two-star to a a four-and-a-half star for me. (laughs) Just like me. (laughs) Yeah. But over a much longer period of time. (laughs) Sometimes a man becomes a different man as he's walking through the river. (laughs) He gets wet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I... I'm thinking a lot about how terrible Mr. Chow is <laughs> and how the question of what he does with his feelings becomes how does he treat the women in his life? I'm definitely still processing. I had the thought that it's going to take a few more viewings 
for me to really understand Mm -hmm. what's going on. There are points when I thought, is Wong phoning it in? Like, I've seen some of these choices before. I get that he plays the same songs over and over, the frame obstructions, the textures. In the sci-fi passages, I was even wondering, like, why aren't we getting more of this? Like, why isn't this the movie? Like, the good faith thing to say is that Wong knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And I really do believe that because he's giving you a frustrating experience. But at the same time, when you move past the frustration, you can tune into a deep hurt. I'll also say that Wilson's framing in the last episode of 2046 as a final sort of statement on Hong Kong and Wong's relationship to it helped organize my thoughts as I was watching. Mm. So all in all, I am definitely feeling a little scattered after 2046. And there are little loose ends that I want to pull on and see what we find at the other end. Me too. There's really, really a lot in this movie. It is very, very dense. And I think out of all of his films, this one has the most meta-textual elements Yes. Wong is like wanting you as an audience to draw links and callbacks from previous films and all in all like building a even more heightened sense of nostalgia because you do have that nostalgia for 1960s Hong Kong but you also have nostalgia for Wong's prior films as well and these characters and these emotions but he sort of remixes it. It's sort of like a greatest hits <laughs> compilation in some ways, mm. but I think all carefully tuned to convey this really pervasive sense of heartbreak that is shared by all these characters after Chow's prior heartbreak in 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 the mood for love. Such loss. It courses through the movie. There's even nostalgia for the idea of the future and Mm. the potential of having a happy future, which he no longer really does. A brief plot summary of 2046, if you haven't seen it, is that this is a sequel to In the Mood for Love and also Days of Being Wild. Wong sort of calls this trilogy of films his 1960s trilogy. It shows Chao Mo Wan, who is played by Tony Leung, beat down by heartbreak. <laughs> and a series of women circle Mr. Chao's life as he writes a couple of science fiction stories about 2046, a place that no one returns from. He plucks pieces of his life and, and puts them to paper. There's really a lot of different threads that we can go down. We have various women we have i'm gonna just list them all for us so we can get that out of the way as we go down one route we will follow that thread so we have tony playing chow mo wan we have karina lao very early on playing lulu slash mimi a continuation of her character in days of being wild and how she talks about her ex this chinese filipino ex who who passed away, which was Leslie Chung's character, whose spirit sort of gets transferred into Chow, Mr. Chow, in this time. And he much more resembles Yeti of Days of Being Wild than Mr. Chow of In the Mood for Love. And you have memories of Maggie Chung's So Lai Jun in black and white, as well as like an appearance by Gong Li's Su Li Jun, who has the exact same name as Maggie Chung as this black widow gambler woman that Chow meets in Singapore. 
And as Ben said earlier, we have Zhang Ziyi as Bai Ling, who moves into room 2046 next to Mr. Chow. And we also have Fei Wong returning to mm-hmm. a Wong Kar Wai movie in glorious fashion as Wang Jingwen, the daughter of Mr. Chow's landlord, who is in love with this Japanese man named Tak, who is played by Takuya Kimura. Yeah, and that's our. Th- those are our main players. Yeah, just to be clear, everyone is hot. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Chang Chen's in this and also, also hot. Also, Chang Chen, <laughs> grimy but hot. Everyone is hot. Everyone is gorgeous. <laughs> Everyone's hot. And you also have some of these characters like Fei and Takuya playing double roles mm. in Mr. Chow's science fiction stories about a man returning from the place that. You cannot return from hmm. 2046. I want to start with asking Eli, what was the thing that was frustrating you at the start? Good question. I went into this movie thinking it was more of a spiritual sequel to In the Mood for Love mm. than a literal sequel. Right. <laughs> and I also thought that the sci-fi elements were the reality of the story. Mm-hmm. So I was super, super into the mid-aughts CGI yeah. of it all. <laughs> it's really beautiful. It is so beautiful. I sort of wanted more of that. Mm. So then when we got into the 60s component, and it is Mr. Chow, though you don't really know it for a while, I was wondering what was going on, where things were going. I felt that Chow was being very flippant and uncaring to the women around him mm-hmm. and it turns out that's the point <laughs> yeah right that's what he's doing <laughs> yeah he is a dick <laughs> whenever you have a character in a movie who's acting in a way that you don't like you do have a period of questioning whether the director gets what's going on mm-hmm. for example a movie like scott pilgrim versus the world that main character does things that I don't like and I don't think that the director fully gets it because the end of the movie forgives him Hmm. Mm -hmm. as 2046 goes on Chow is not rewarded for his behavior and the movie makes a point of showing you how he passes on the hurt he feels to other people and that's a huge component of the movie for me so basically it took time for me to understand how the movie was working both plot wise and on the level of moral argument I also find that the edit can be impatient. I don't mean it's a bad edit. I mean, literally, it will linger on something for a very long time, and then it'll jump ahead in an antsy way. The edit becomes disruptive to the viewing experience. This is the first Wong movie where I thought that the style was getting in the way of me connecting with the story. But again, I think all these things are on purpose. And the movie is frustrating your connection on purpose. There's something that is like passing ships in the night with my relationship with all of these characters. Ooh, just like their relationships with each other. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Basically, as the movie went on, I felt like I was getting on its wavelength more and understanding why it was being scornful of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you know, that's something that I like when a movie does, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything that you said, Eli. I think the more like scattered narrative structure of the film really gets you to be like relinquish your sense of, I guess, a plot. Yeah. And really trust that Wong can guide you emotionally through this storyline because he is jumping forwards and backwards in time, even within the 1960s area like he starts off in Singapore and then returns to Singapore later not to even like talk about the the futuristic elements of it 
but I think it does get more rewarding with every subsequent watch. Hmm knowing that everything is intentional and he really wants to tell you this story in this sort of way where you see these women briefly and then they come back around and mm. you see how Chow's decisions have affected all of them in like really negative ways. Chow also gets his own turn or chance of missing someone or asking someone to leave and, and them not leaving and just a recurring cycle of heartbreak and, and not being able to have any closure with your emotion. And I think that is what is the like sort of the strongest message of this film. Hmm. This idea of delayed reaction, which Chow really expands upon and explains in his hmm. short story where he has the android hostesses on this train all have delayed reactions to what the Japanese man on board is is saying to them. I think the addition of sci-fi elements really is such like a beautiful like unique way of Wong like realizing oh this is a way that I can really like multiply the emotional effect of what I'm trying to get at with these stories because with sci-fi you're able to like extend past what is humanly conceivable hmm. and really deal with these ideas of like love and loss at the like upteenth scale and I think by having that as a way of Chow expressing what he feels inside and is unable to really like act upon or do anything about in his real life. Mm. In a way, they clarify what he's feeling. Yes. In a vague sort of way, right? You do have to really parse through the actions and what's being said. There's a moment that I caught in the perhaps real timeline of the movie, the non-sci-fi timeline in the 60s, where Fei Wong's character is writing a martial arts novel with Mr. Chow. Right. And she expresses confusion when Mr. Chow brings a character back to life all of a sudden. Lulu is killed yeah. off screen <laughs> early on in the movie uh. and then later comes back. <laughs> yeah. This is great because Wong is troubling and complicating our ability to follow the plot coherently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there other moments like this in the, quote, real timeline that directly contradict information we've been given previously? And what do you guys feel the effect of that is? I see stuff like, for example, if you think about the flashbacks that show us Maggie Chung, yeah. she does not look the same. And Chow doesn't look the same. He has his mustache in those flashbacks. And obviously... His gross little pencil mustache. <laughs> yeah. This footage is from like the early shoots of A New For Love that they scrapped. And these things don't match up. What I think the effect of it is, is that at the end of the day, Wong is not interested in airtight plots. Mm -hmm. He's interested in something much more of... Much more like a poem. Yeah. The idea of 2046 is something that is encapsulating everything that he has done in his entire career. And that's just kind of what it is. It is a film that is holding all the other films in its hands. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't care that things don't make sense. And if you look at a lot of Wong's films, sometimes characters don't really make sense or they do things that are inexplicable. And in this film, there's stuff like that as well. I think all those things just don't really matter in Wong's universe. This mm -hmm. is a film set in a Wong universe. Mm. And it has an emotional logic from a Wong universe. Yeah. And a plot logic from a Wong universe. Like Wong is a character in his own universe making 2046 the movie. And I'm starting to see that a lot of Wong's filmmaking is him doing himself. He is iterating on his own work. It's weird. Like, I think of that distinctly from a director just making a bunch of films. 
it feels like Wong is reflecting on his own work as he makes more work. Yeah. 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 It really feels like a sort of co-carrier trilogy, Kurosawa mm, A little bit, yeah. Yeah. In his own way, mm. where he is looking back and, like, reflecting his own work or repurposing his work for different use. Because mm. you see traces of... Like, even Chungking and, like, Happy Together, you have, like, lines that repeat. Yes. Like, and it's, like, situations that are repeated in, in this film that also make you call back to those two films as well. I feel like we skipped over your relationship with the film, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about this? <laughs> uh, there is, I, I, I feel like there's so, there's really a countless a countless number of things that I really love about this film. Well, I saw this film two times to prepare for the episode, and this was only my second and third time watching this film. So out of all the Wong Kar Wai movies that I've seen, this is probably the most like fresh I am with a Wong movie, and I'm really taken aback emotionally by it. Although Wong makes movies that make me like think about Hong Kong and is very like very intertwined with my idea of Hong Kong. I think he rarely makes movies for Hong Kong, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I think mm. there is, like, a really... I would get quite emotional this episode, but Hong Kong is, like, objectively in its history, like, a city of heartbreak. Like, I think through a lot of the pain that people have suffered due to, like, Japanese occupation and then also our colonization by the UK and now, subsequently, what is happening now, I think there has just been... A lot of hardships mm-hmm. and i think 2046 out of all of wong's films is a film that is sort of like reaching out to hong kongers and being like this is the state of things that we're in right now because even if wong says in interviews that oh this is not a political film i don't think you can name a film 2046 being the last year of a 50-year handover between Hong Kong and, and China, and that not be a, a political film. I think he, mm. out of <laughs> all the directors that could have done it, he did it in the most subtle way possible and, and mm-hmm. made this like really purely about these characters, but I do think these characters are an extension of the city. Mm. Like, that is also another reason why Lulu never really dies. Like, I, I, I think that there is a sort of, like, eternality to these characters and to these emotions and to uh, this idea of two ships passing in the night or, like, mm. it's, it's too late or too soon. Like, Hong Kong has always been in this state of being, like, passed around different Hmm. places and there was a lot of pain after the 97 handover and there's a lot of confusion about this 50-year period and what Wong is trying to say with this movie in that this 50-year period is this time where nothing changes before you get to 2047 and that being the big change is something that is now not that true given what has happened in the news Hmm, the past few years which is unfortunate but i think he has like even though this is a really sad movie i think he has a really romantic idea of preserving memory and preserving memory of the city of memory of of people i think there is a really empathetic view towards this city in this in this movie that's a lot of what makes this so so good for me Mm. it is his i don't know city on fire it it is like wong's version of a 97 movie Mm. it's just beautiful and i don't think he can ever do this again it's like he made his 2046 movie early because he can't wait that long right 
Yeah, because he conceived 2046. It was supposed to be that second movie after Happy yeah. Together that he would have finished before the actual handover. And this was sort of a delayed release of that idea. But I think the compounding of Days of Being Wild into In the Mood for Love into this packs an even bigger punch because you have nostalgia for Hong Kong, but also with Hong Kong, Wong's movies are a part of a a Hong Kong identity. So you have nostalgia Mm. for, for that as well. The performances all through this are really, really incredible. I mm. love Faye Wong's in character in this. I, I do, I don't know, some people might say that she's the weak link, but I, I just love when whenever she's on screen. And there are some close-ups in this of her that are yeah. unbelievable. Like the, like the closing shot of her. She's also a good android. Yeah, she is a beautiful android. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, visually, Wong fully, like, venturing into scope mm. territory has really opened the world for him. Mm. I think scope allows you to heighten movement. Uh, Scope allows you to increase negative space. It Mm. really is such a visually lush movie. That is my like very long-winded way of saying I love this movie. Last episode, Wilson, you asked me to do you (laughs) in the context of Defining the kind of movie that you like, Wilson. (laughs) Yes, do me, do me. (laughs) And I thought about this a lot. 2046 helped me understand how I could define it. Because your taste is so wide, Wilson, that it's very difficult to drill it down into a single idea. (laughs) And I realized, essentially, a Wilson movie is a maximalist movie. (laughs) I think I would agree with that. In one direction, at least, or multiple directions. And 2046 is a film that's maximalist in many, many, many directions. Mm. It has scope in the kind of metaphorical sense, and it has style in a maximalist kind of way. It has many characters, more vignettes than any other long film. It has probably more characters too. Yeah. This is his most maximalist film. (laughs) And looking at all the other films that you like, I think it kind of applies. And even for the films that are more stripped back, I think you look for maximalist in certain kinds of style. Yeah. Long takes. Yeah. Melodramatic emotion. You want a lot of that. So like, that's how I would define what you're into. And that's how I would define this film. You sort of hit the nail (laughs) on the head, but... I find it really appropriate that we're watching 2046 in the week when Wilson has made us a really detailed and wonderful (laughs) playlist of pop music. And actually that helped me watch 2046 too Mm. because a lot of the songs are about heartbreak and loss and longing. I think also partially knowing how much this movie means to you helped me watch it too. Thanks, Eli. It's not fair to compare a pop playlist to 2046, but there's something that spoke across the two experiences. 2046 is kind of like a pop playlist playing Wong Kar Wai's greatest hits. Oh. It is sort of. It is sort of a pop playlist. <laughs> In a figurative sense, you know? <laughs> uh, Wilson, I wanted to ask you about something you said. You said that Wong's other movies aren't necessarily for Hong Kongers in the way that 2046 is. Could you expand on that? That might have been a low blow, but I do, I do think <laughs> that those movies are more in service of themselves, obviously. Mm. And I think the difference between this one is that they're in service of, of of more than just him. That's not to say, like, definitively the other movies aren't, but I do think that this is a somewhat of a reaching out mm. to his audience. Mm. Especially considering the amount of callbacks, it is catered to an audience that has watched and loved his films. 
prior to this. Like, if you watch all his films, this film has so much more to offer than somebody who only watches 2046 or maybe just 2046 and Mufalo. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine if this was your entry to Wong. <laughs> you would be lost. Like, that would, you, you would be so confused. <laughs> so we've laid out the basic threads and characters. Are there moments or scenes or arcs that particularly speak to you guys or when the movie sort of clicked for you? This is a bit more like of an overarching thing, but I realized this when Gong Li's character Su Li Jin comes back around because halfway through the film, I was slightly bored or confused about a lot of things I was seeing. I was wondering why there were so many characters. One of the questions I had was why was Lulu in this because it felt so extraneous, but then being told that she's carried from days of being well, and that makes a lot more sense to me now. But I was wondering about the three major female characters in this. You have Bai Ling, played by Zhang Ji, you have Su Li Chen, played by Gong Li, and you have Xing Wen, played by Fei Wong. And I was trying to figure out what was the kind of organizing principle here, because some of these threats kind of were a little less strong, and there's a lopsided emphasis on the Bai Ling storyline. And then I kind of realized what this film was doing on a narrative level, which is that it is a film about Maggie Chung Su Li Chen, fragmented into three different characters. (laughs) Here is my thesis. Bai Ling is the look of Maggie in In the Move of Love. She's wearing the Cheongsa. Mm-hmm. Sing Wen, played by Fei Wong, is the thing that they do together, writing the novel. Yeah. Right? And then he has an emotional connection. With Bai Ling, he has a physical connection. And then with Gong Li, it is literally in name. <laughs> Merely in name. And so these are aspects of Maggie's version of Su Li Chen fractured into three different women. And you have Mr. Chow kind of searching for her from all of them. Hmm. I find that such an interesting way of doing a sequel. <laughs> Here's me picking up the ball and turning it into a cube and then passing it on. Okay. Rather than these women having parts of Maggie Chung's character from In the Mood for Love, these women are all their own women, mm-hmm. and it's more about Mr. Wong projecting Maggie Chung mm-hmm. onto them awesome. mm-hmm. and Definitely. seeking out mm-hmm. those qualities and that perfect love that he wants to recapture, but knowing he can't and getting frustrated and winding up hurting all of these women. He even acknowledges to himself that he's projecting onto the people that he meets. He tells Gong Li in the end, take care, maybe one day you'll escape your past. If you do, look for me. And then he tells us in voiceover, yeah, no, I was really actually just talking to myself about that one. (laughs) Like, I know that one was for me. Even though he realizes what he's doing wrong, he goes into that final scene and breaks Zhang Zi's Bai Ling's heart in that moment and puts his permanent rupture into her life. It's like a contagion. Mm. He has an infectious disease that he passes on to everyone he meets because he can't see them for who they are. He projects onto them. I think one of the things that I struggle with and maybe even struggle with when I watch it is that we can read it as this projection of his issues onto these women yeah but i feel like the film is still so filtered through his perspective that they still feel so much like objects Mm. a little bit they feel two-dimensional in his eyes because we are seeing them through his eyes yeah Mm -hmm. i think the thing i would like more from this film is to be able to have more dimension to each of them right whether that is to exit his perspective to get that yeah or to just see more of it from his perspective so i think that's the thing that this film I wish there was more mm. of, like, just the, the extra dimension for all these characters instead of them all being filtered through his fucked up perspective and, like, his jaded, <laughs> everything sucks, I'll never be in love again kind of mm. viewpoint, right? 
But I think by the end, they all share that, ex- except for maybe mm. Wang Jingwen, that they all share that same view yeah. of love and ache after childhood obliterated through them. <laughs> <laughs> this has a lot more sex in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> like in really, I guess, very stark contrast in the need for love, this this one really explicitly <laughs> shows quite a lot of sex, which I think was a very smart turn for Wong, mm. um, given Bai Ling's character and, and what she is meant to like represent in, in Chao's life. And Bai Ling also being sort of a heir to Karina's like Lulu Mimi character from Days of Being Wild, who attaches herself to Yadi, um, Leslie's character, and... The more that you think about it and how expansive this becomes, like, emotionally, really, it feels very monumental. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think I have, like, a really conclusive, like, statement about these women that explains, I guess, the connection with Maggie Chung's character from In the Mood for Love. I think the connection, it's meant to be fairly superficial. Yeah. Then it just kind of becomes its own thing. If anything, the connection is just a connective tissue to, between this film and the previous one and between Mr. Charles' character and the three women. Right. But otherwise, they kind of splinter off and become their kind of own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised by how much like the Biling storyline got to me because it kind of starts off really kind of off. And there isn't much depth to the relationship. It feels like such a fling, mm-hmm. such a physical thing. But it becomes this very interesting investigation, I guess, into a transactional relationship and like kind of a very perverse inversion of the relationship you are looking at in the move for love. Here's one that's like completely physical. Right. Or at least from Chow's perspective, completely physical. And how that creates a different kind of heartbreak. And how, yes, he can consummate this affair, but he is as empty as he was before. I found that to be quite fascinating. And then, of course, you have the collateral damage of Biling being heartbroken that he doesn't give a shit about her because she doesn't fulfill the kind of perfect person that he's looking for or whatever. Yeah, Maggie Chung doesn't even really serve so much as a comparison to me, as a contrast Mm. to all the characters in this movie. You think about the way that Mr. Chow acts and the restraint and the sense of almost honor that he operates under in In the Mood for Love, Mm -hmm. where he holds himself back from this connection, this right person at the right time, as he thinks of it in this movie. Here, there is a lot more sex. There's none of the rules that he had for himself in the last movie. And also something I want to note is that I don't think his face appears in a two-shot with another woman's face in this movie, except for the moment when he's walking with Gong Li towards the end of the movie. But even then, they're not both in focus. Hmm. Rather than the connections, I agree with Ben that it's about the inability to connect that Chow now has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how everything in his life is pretty fractured. This film is very difficult to get into because it is something that works as a whole. Yeah. Yes. Right? Like, yes, you could maybe talk about specific moments, but it really only works in tandem with everything else because... Otherwise, it becomes, like, too thin on its own. Like, each vignette Mm. has to hold each other up. Yeah. And it needs to lead into each other, right? Like, one example being how a section of the short story is being shown where Fei Wang's android is, like, waiting by a window and you have intertitles saying 10 hours later, 100 Mm -hmm. hours later, 1,000 hours later. Mm. And then later when you return to the 1960s timeline and... 
Fei Wang's character asks Chow to rewrite the ending because she doesn't like it. Mm. He sits at his desk, like pen almost touching paper, and then you have these same intertitles, 10 hours, 100 hours, 1,000 hours. It has that like compounding effect mm-hmm. of placing it after each other, and it's not really driven by something in Chow's life like prompting him to write this, but it is sort of like uh, emotionally connected mm-hmm. uh, through Wong trying to like get us to make this link between these two characters at that specific moment. It walks such a narrow tightrope, this movie, because everything relies on each other so heavily, but you you know the way that he shot it. He basically just went down different rabbit holes and then like cobbled it together in the edit. But because his own ideas of situations or prior scenes or emotions are so strong, he's able to really just draw a through line through everything once he's in the edit because I guess the underlying emotion is so strong. If the plot threads don't match, it doesn't really matter. Like I don't think it is there for us to scrutinize and tear apart pieces because like Lulu's reemergence after being dead is in that moment reflective of Chow's reemergence in like the dating sphere. They all work like music together. Even like the three main women, they only make sense in relation to each other in kind of creating a sense of why Chow has this disease Mm. of being so ineffective at loving. He chooses not to accept a woman who wants him chooses to go after a woman who has somebody else and then at the end chooses to leave a woman he might have something with because she's not the true article i guess Mm. so there is something very broken about the way he handles the relationships and you can only really see it by looking at all three kind of little storylines together yeah it's his most successful at doing multiple narratives and also kind of having them speak to each other yeah and obviously having a character go through them helps organize it compared to something like chungking yeah because even though they are like distinct sections it's not like chungking where you have a whole half right and mm-hmm. then you 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 switch gears and you have another yeah. half this is much more complex because you're like weaving in and out and then you're returning to characters yeah. who come back into Chow's life or you flash back to previous encounters. There are parts also that linger with you in icky, sticky ways afterwards. I'm thinking of the hotel owner Wang's daughters and the inappropriate relationships that Mr. Chow has with both of them. Mm. Yeah. Everywhere he goes, every woman he interacts with, he's leaving things behind unresolved those really do stick with you in nasty ways after the movie is done this movie to me comes down pretty harshly on mr chow and his behavior and how he behaves after having experienced heartbreak i guess i'm curious wilson how that maps onto what you were saying about hong kong and a loss of sense of home or home becoming a place of instability that you can't trust how does mr chow match that for you I was reading the Stephen Teo book and he like draws a pretty literal connection between Chow being Hong Kong, being like courted by these two mainland actresses, mm. ah. like mainland women, being uh, Zhang Zi and Gong Li because Faye is betrothed to another Japanese man. That was really interesting and something that I didn't really see when I was watching it, but reading about it, it like clicked mm. quite literally for me. And that being his like 
inability to like give himself fully to these two women. But I don't even know if Wong's headspace is like that. Right. I can sort of see it. <laughs> like it makes some sense to me. It does make sense in like a very, very macro level. Yeah. It can be a lot of things. I do think that yeah. mm-hmm. like heartbreak leads us to do a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. And confusion and not knowing what you want and creating or wreaking havoc in other places it is not really your intention but you're sort of like flailing around mm-hmm. and i that's how i sort of see chow in this you go through this affair that really affirms you and then having that like be gone or like be taken away yeah and that loss right i think it's also like hong kong's like sort of inability to connect Mm, to commit to any one woman (laughs) yeah it really could be that for me to kind of like theorize a little bit and find it very interesting that you can talk about 2046 in such a metaphorical allegorical level yeah even more so than happy together right because we were also Mm. sort of talking about that and with in the move for love we kind of talked about how like the footage from cambodia kind of like references a little bit about the the way that the world was changing and how like power was moving hands and how you can sort of read the move for love as being about two people trying to get together and that kind of tracks with an idea that hong kong is finding its place and then the timing is not right and it's thrown somewhere else Mm. and now there is a new deadline for hong kong so 97 was on one deadline and now the new deadline is 2047 and so there's something tragic about knowing an expiry date for the state of your country Mm. yeah and having two of them in succession yeah where in that period of time up to one expiry date you can become something and then that thing will be gone Uh, that is the kind of feeling that these relationships within the films are evoking yeah within the mood is about getting to almost the right time but the time is still wrong and then with these it is like within mr chow's journey after that point he's searching for the connection but he cannot find it yeah. and then he looks all the way ahead to 246 which kind of makes that parallel where he feels an expiry you know there's a deadline yeah he becomes defeatist yes i was thinking about this film's time traveling aspects This is very kind of meta way of looking at it, but it is interesting that in the sci-fi world, you have characters time traveling to 2046 and not leaving, but then the main character goes to 2046, the year, and leaves, even though no one wants to leave there. And so in this world of 2046, we are ostensibly in a future world after 2046 where people are traveling back in time to 2046 before the deadline right because they want to be in that world where nothing ever changes Mm. yeah and i was just thinking Wong made this film to live past 2046 so that mr charles journey forwards in time becomes a journey for you backwards in time back to 2046 and so even though now we when we watch 2046 2046 is the future in the future 2046 is the past and so this film will never be dated yes and i think that is just mental and like ballistic iconic (laughs) it was incredible i think you put it so beautifully ben that was beautiful ben interesting fact so all those riots that are being talked about in the the 1960s were actually pro-China anti-colonial riots. So that Mm. is another like bit of historical city context. I'm a little confused. (laughs) Well, I'm not really confused about its placement, but I am not really clear as to what Wong is trying to say by mentioning those. It was a big moment in Hong Kong's history as well. Mm-hmm. The push and pull between East and West. And I mean, those are also referenced in the Wu for Love. Those are the riots that the Swen family is running away from. 
I think it does loop back. And I think it is a complication in the kind of narrative he might be having. And I think Wang is of two minds about this whole thing. The unrest stems from pro-China, but then now <laughs> the unrest is yeah. stemming from both parties. And now it's like kind of very messy. And I think the film is born out of a messiness. Yeah, The relationships are like messy as fuck. You know, like this whole thing is... It, it's a whole it's like a cry of agony where mm. like how do you yeah. choose which woman is he going to choose he doesn't know because he doesn't know what is right anymore there is no sense of what makes sense for Mr. Chow because he thought he had something and now it's gone it really like can be seen as Wong's saddest film yeah I, I would say yeah I'm running through the film right now just as in, like I'm just playing it in the background <laughs> I'm now looking at the scene of the Fei Wong android bits where she does the circle where Takuya is kissing through the circle and that is a great scene. <laughs> yeah. Like the different kinds of scene constructions that he comes up with within the conceit of the sci-fi and the 1960s. It's hard to heap praise on any one thing because everything is done to a very high level. It really is. If I think about the very sexual stuff that's happening with Bai Ling, like that stuff is hot. <laughs> Like, the framing and everything is amazing. Like, there's a shot from above after they first have sex, and it's, like, Zhang Qi's foot on Tony's chest. And it's, like, if you weren't a foot fetish person, this might be trying to make you one. <laughs> like, it's that kind of shot. <laughs> but even then, they're separated across a cut. They're not shown in the frame together. So I think there's a lot of consideration to everything. You could really dig in deep to what's going on. And the close-ups in this are just beautiful. So many things where it's the close-ups where the character's face is looking towards and is close towards the edge of a frame rather than having looking space from their eyes to the edge of the frame. There's a lot of that, especially in the shot reverse shots between Chow and the women. So there is a disconcerting quality to this, even though it's kind of woozy and sexy and central. There's a lot going on under the hood here. Something else that this is making me think of is the scene when Tony is talking to Faye in what might be a kitchen space. It's a little hard to tell because the movie is very claustrophobic. Yes. At the start of the scene, you hear a tap running and you hear water trickling into a basin or a cup or something. They have a conversation. And then the final shot of the scene is the tap that you heard mm -hmm. but didn't see. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of this delayed reaction that the android has. It makes me think of the fragmentation of space. The sound and the image are so disconnected temporally that it's like emotion and expression of emotion are missing each other by a mile, yeah. mm. which is sad. It's great. And it also is a visual callback to the 2047 scene where he's looking at, I don't even know if it's Fei Wong's android, or it's some character having sex and he's voyeuristically looking through like a skylight and his tear drops <gasps> through. Oh, that scene. The the dropping of the tear like match cuts into a... Like these red and blue things yeah, red coming and blue. at you. It's the way the tear refracts the light. Yeah. It's so yeah. fascinating. It's, it's like one of the most insane things that I've seen. Like <laughs> all the 2046 7 stuff looks so gorgeous. I, I know there's like tons more. I know in some like basement there is a shot of Zhang Chi yeah in, held like up by puppet? wires like what is that what is that that was like one ending of her section and it's a shot stuff. of her in the in 2046 <laughs> and you're like what and like there's a lot of stuff with Karina Lau in 2046 as well that <sighs> yeah a little bit confounding to me but I think helps to create something to juxtapose the stuff that's happening with Fei Wong's android so that it doesn't feel too 
one thing. Yeah. And it broadens the scope of 2046, where it's not just one tiny story within the Hermetic world. This is a very sprawling film, not just in the 60s, but also in the fictional sci-fi world. And Maggie's android for a hot sec. One, two shots. She is? Yes, there's a moment with a... It's a flash. Yeah, it's just two shots. Oh my god. Like, <laughs> what is so, going on? used her so sparingly in this movie. This is reminding me. There was something that I thought about in the voiceover, which is that when Tony's talking about Maggie, he says, I fell in love with a woman who was married to another man. And it didn't work out, essentially. Why does he not include the detail that his wife was cheating on him at the time or that he was married. Why does his memory not include that? Why does he not let us in on that detail Though we know it from In the Mood for Love, having watched it, but it's not in the text in 2046, that part of his hurt or the context. I think that is a glaring omission because the way that Mr. Chow views his relationship with his wife is something that is like, it's a void now. Like he, it's gone. Yeah. I think that's the thing that is the undercurrent of In the Move for Love is a rage about his wife that you do not know about. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's not really about the films, but you could theorize that, yes, when he's in Cambodia, he's already separated from his wife. When he's in Singapore, he's already separated from his wife. It is not shown, but you can already see that he's most likely separated from her already. It's only Mrs. Chang who remains with her husband. That's the only relationship that lives, but... Mr. Chow is already a kind of lone wolf by the end of In the Move for Love. And so I think it's irrelevant. She became irrelevant to him. Yeah. So that period of his life, what is more important is the actual love that he lost, which is Maggie's religion. It's interesting that the aspect of 24-6 that is most engaging for me is the narrative stuff because you wouldn't expect that from Wong. Usually he is using the style to get you in. But here the narrative is really where I find it the most interesting. The narrative construction, the what he's trying to say with the plot is very interesting. So I think he really did a weird, perfect marriage of like old and new Wong yeah. in 2046, which is just what new Wong is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I get why this might be your favorite Wong Kar White film. Oh. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm so happy. You know, earlier in the week on the Discord chat, I was like, still can't believe you gave <laughs> 2046 two stars. Like, this is even more, like, glaring than The Matrix Resurrections, which it is, which it is. <laughs> and you were like, oh, I'm, I'm rarely wrong. <laughs> but, I mean, I like to be wrong about a film I don't like. <laughs> it's just more to love. I want to talk a little bit about why this has, through the years, become a deep cut because he was really riding the high off of releasing In the Mood for Love. But when this premiered at Cannes to a similar amount of last minute editing that Wong has been doing, instead of being like highly lauded and given a lot of prizes, you received a lot of criticism from people attending the festival and snobby con folk. And the film also did not win a prize at the festival. And I guess through the years has really not been talked about as a Wong Kar Wai staple where I see it as the thesis of his whole filmography is embedded within 2046. Even though it's not an entry Wong, it is, I think, very essential to really understanding him as a filmmaker. It's a very strong conclusion to what he's been doing. Yeah. And I mean, definitely not where you would begin with Wong, but this is the place to kind of end in a sense. Mm-hmm. where you can kind of make sense of what he's doing. And so many of the quotes here are essentially the thesis statements where he talks about love being a matter of timing. And that is the undercurrent of every romantic storyline 
in his films. It's always about bad timing. I rewatched Fallen Angels today, and even in the familial relationship in Fallen Angels, that is also kind of about <sighs> bad timing. Uh. <laughs> and he has a romantics view, and you realize that a romantics view is actually pessimistic. A romantics view is about the thing you lose, not about the thing you have. I think that's crazy (laughs) that you would expect that romanticism is about having something you desperately yearn for, but the only reason you yearn for something is because you do not fucking have it. I think that's kind of what he's been really interested in and has really done a very good job of investigating. I would add on that I think with 24-6, you also see that he's showing that a lot of his characters, and I think he also kind of believes that people are this way as well, is that we're really bad at loving other people. His characters are terrible at it. Like, they're always at the wrong time. They always choose the wrong people. They don't make sensible decisions. So I'm realizing now that Wong's version of love, it's romanticized, but it's not optimistic. It's not actually good <laughs> yeah. it's not good for you yeah. <laughs> and that's where he like kind of is able to generate so much drama and emotion mm-hmm. because he's pulling on that very yeah. human way that we work of wanting what we cannot have in Stephen Teo's book he wrote this line that I thought was like so beautiful about this movie and he says the sum and substance of Wong's eight feature films to date is the cinematic recovery of Hong Kong's lost memories And 2046 is a beautiful summation of this theme. And while not like directly related to what Ben was saying about love and loss, I think you can draw a connection between the love and loss of these characters and the love and loss of this city. When going through these episodes together and going through these movies together and really like marking an end point here, this makes me question everything he has done Uh and think about what Wong can be and what Wong wants to be in this next era. The next era has been defined by two features, basically. It has been defined by My Blueberry Nights, which Wong made in the U.S. Yeah, which is quite want-want. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And The Grandmaster, basically a martial arts epic that is not really about Hong Kong at all. I don't think there's any way that Wong is returning to this city in cinema, Hmm. but that brings up the question, is he finding his footing? What is he doing? I mean, with a one-two punch of In the Move for Love and 2046, them being just great movies in their own right and also having such strong allegorical potential, it's like, where do you go from there? It's almost like after 2046, he's like, I'm done. And you look at My Blueberry Nights, which I think of as a parody of Wong done by Wong, (laughs) almost like as a joke, you know? That's how I kind of feel about it. (laughs) Goof. Oh my god, he was like, maybe some of these Guaylos just gave me some money to make a movie. Yeah. Just can make a joke of a movie. (laughs) I can guess what Guaylo means. (laughs) The beats in My Blueberry Nights are like what you expect Wong to do, but not what Wong would do. It just doesn't work. Anyway, and with Grandmaster, it feels like, yes, it's quite stylish, but it doesn't really, for me, feel that much like Wong, aside from him trying to hook this romantic storyline onto the Grandmaster, but I don't particularly think it works very well. But otherwise, the Grandmaster kind of feels out of step with everything before 2046. In a way that makes 2046 feel sadder, it's like that Wong doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. yeah. He cannot return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, we might not get that Wong again. Honestly, it's unlikely. <laughs> I have no clue what Wong realizing his full potential post-2046 looks like. Yeah. Maybe he also doesn't know, especially with all this news of all these projects that 
he had been picked up to direct and have subsequently dropped off. It's almost like he's finding his mistress again <laughs> in his career because like he is feeling lost. I kind of feel, if you look at his output, he has made two films since 2046. That's 18 years. <laughs> He made two films. Wow. And we've heard of a bunch of other projects that he has been working on, but only two have come out of it. And that's like, even for Wong, very slow output. And I don't know, maybe he's not inspired anymore. (laughs) We will see with Blossoms. What is Blossoms even? Which is coming out this year. Is it? Oh, shit. (laughs) Blossoms, it's a series and is a movie. The series is supposed to come first, and I think Wong has directed a few episodes. He's definitely directed episodes for it and produces and is producing it, but the movie he is writing and directing, and it is set in China, and it is set in the past. That's all I know. The trailer looks glossy and has been... Yeah, looks like plastic. We'll see. I haven't seen My Blueberry Nights. I'm planning on watching it in a couple weeks just to get his whole filmography out of the way. But I do Mm. think the Grandmaster still has a lot of stylistic trademarks of Wong. And I think they're used to interesting effect, especially with all the action sequences. I think some of them are really, really well done and presented in a really unique way because, yeah, no one's shot an action scene like Wong before. The Grandmaster. Octavia Spencer is the Grandmaster. <laughs> the Grandmaster. Is this my number two Wong? Holy fuck. This is my number two Wong for sure. <laughs> oh, fuck. This is definitely my number two Wong. Kind of wild. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you, Wilson. Yeah, thank you. Really, thank you for taking us through Wong and also for telling us about your personal connection to Wong. That was really special to experience those movies through that lens. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you, too, for coming along this ride with me. And it was very gratifying to hear what you guys loved about your respective picks for your deep cuts. And I'm sure we will review Blossoms when it makes it to air sometime in the next 10 years. (laughs) Whenever it blossoms. Hey, nice. (laughs) (laughs) This was definitely a big white whale for our (laughs) podcast. And I feel like we did him justice. If he feels otherwise, he can contact us. Oh, please do. (laughs) He can DM us. If you feel like you were, um, I don't know, misrepresented in any way, (laughs) Mr. Wong, you you can DM us. Come visit me in Singapore. (laughs) You can come visit me in Hong Kong or Eli (laughs) in New York. Your choice. Take your pick. He looks great. I'll, I'll take him to get absolute bagels. I know someone who saw him at Angelica one time <gasps> with his son. Yeah. Wild. He's a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that feels so wrong for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine <laughs> him having a happy family. Like, <laughs> like, bruh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. Keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Till 2046. <laughs>